0: Well, hey everybody, how are you doing today? I hope you're doing well. This is Mark, and this is another episode of This Poor Pastor's Podcast. Today, I'm gonna talk about beauty and the beast. We're gonna talk about beauty today, something that I am uniquely unqualified to talk about. But no, beauty as it relates to God, the worship of God, and finding beauty in an increasingly ugly world. I hope you'll stick with me. I think you'll find it helpful. And if not, it'll just help pass the time. So, let's dive into today's episode. You know, when I was a teenager, they used to preach to us in teen conventions and Christian school chapel meetings. They would tell the boys... Don't you worry about those girls, whether they're beautiful or not. Beauty is only skin deep. You worry about getting a girl who loves the Lord, not one who's beautiful. I always thought to myself, God, can she be both? Like, can she please be both? And inevitably, I would look around the room at the ugliest girl in the school, because every you know, school has the ugliest girl, sorry, but they also have the ugliest guy, of which I was likely in the running for that. I would look and I would say, is that it, Lord? Is she the one for me? Well, I am here to report to you, she was not the one for me. I believe, and it's okay with me if you disagree, I'd almost prefer you to, but I believe that I married an incredibly good-looking lady who also loves the Lord. It was a false dichotomy, but I understand what they were trying to say. Beauty is vain. I mean, that's what the scripture says, right? Or uh, like, favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, or maybe it goes the other way around. I should have it pulled up, but I don't. It is true that beauty is only skin deep and that we're all ugly in the guts, but it's also true that Beauty is nice. I like beautiful things. You know, we serve a God who made a beautiful, beautiful world. The heavens declare the glory of God, his greatness, and they do so with their awesome beauty. Mountains and the ocean, sunsets and sunrises, in, in the South, some of the most beautiful trees I've ever seen are those majestic live oak trees, the, the, the dawn redwood trees, so many beautiful things, the Grand Canyon, Victoria Falls, all the wonders of the world. And where do you think mankind gets their propensity to make beautiful things you know the world tries is trying very hard especially in the west to convince us that beauty is purely subjective and that they they can hold up ugly things and tell us they're beautiful and we'll believe them but uh, there's something inside of people that rebel against that because i think the appreciation of actual beauty is a god-given thing now what does this have to do with a pastor's podcast I live in New England, and in New England, we have some beautiful, beautiful old buildings that are used for churches. Over the last couple of decades, at least, if not before then, but in my experience in the last couple of decades, there has been a growing rebellion against ornate structures, against unnecessarily beautifying our buildings. I want to be honest and say that for a time I even got sucked into that, you know. You can meet in a in a shed and if God's there then that's good. And and that's true. I mean if God's in the shed then that's true. I want to give you something to think about as it relates to our Christian lives and as it relates to our churches that is I think at least worth worth considering. And that is whether or not God intended for beauty to be tied to his service, to worship, to the Christian life, to the life of the people of God. Now, right off at the beginning of the Bible story, we have God creating a beautiful garden. We have God creating an amazing place with trees and rivers and a mountain. Beautiful scenery. Solomon says that given enough time, God makes everything beautiful. Not always in our time, but in his. He says, he hath, I think it was Solomon who said that, he had made everything beautiful in his time. God desires to beautify. And while I understand the tendency to react against excess and corruption and waste, I think it would be a shame if we overreacted and thought that God was most glorified by that which is plain by that which is uncomely, by that which is ugly. God is glorified in beauty. Now, oftentimes when it comes to churches and church buildings, I think that this subject is addressed in relation to the poor. Would you agree with that? So why are churches building such beautiful buildings when there are poor people all around them? It's a powerful argument, and it's one that we should hear and not skip over. But I think that a look at the heart of God in the Old Testament, to start there, shows that God did not view ornate, sometimes extravagant beauty and decoration as being contrary to his heart, even when there were poor people. You know, in the books of the law, God gave instructions for how to handle poor people. He didn't get into the reasons for poverty. He never even said that we should be trying to eradicate poverty. In fact, the Bible never treats poverty as if it's something that's going to be eradicated. Even the Lord Jesus Christ said, you always have the poor with you. You can do something for them anytime you want. That's interesting coming from the mouth of the Son of God, isn't it? I think there's coming a day when poverty will be eradicated, but it is not this day. No. In the Old Testament, God instructed the tabernacle to be built in a way that, for a movable structure, was incredibly beautiful. And then the pattern of the temple, incredibly beautiful, ornate. God never, not only did God not take the children of Israel to task for that, but he instructed beautiful, ornate, extravagant, gorgeous detail into the place where worship would be conducted and into the place where he would dwell in his spirit. Every once in a while we get a prophetic vision uh, into God's heavenly dwelling place and one thing that you see when you're there is that it is extravagant in beauty isn't it I mean golden thrones talk of streets of gold I know that's the new that's the new Jerusalem but the glassy sea surrounding the throne the rainbow the beauty, the majesty, the splendor. And so God instructed some of the most precious and beautiful substances on the face of the earth to be included in the construction of his tabernacle and his temple. All the while, I remind you, all the while, recognizing that there are poor people all around. So God didn't view this as an either-or. But he did say it's important that you build these things according to the pattern. And I'm wondering if it's because God delights in beauty. I believe that creation in its innocency was beautiful. And that sin and death and corruption mar the beauty that God created. This is why the human form in its prime is beautiful. I mean, artists have known this. Obviously, some people take it to wrong ends, and they use it for evil purposes, but it is at least giving voice to the fact that the human body in in its prime is a beautiful piece of handiwork. God made the human body beautiful. Now, if that makes you uncomfortable, makes you giggle, you'll just have to get over it because maybe your body and maybe mine are not the best examples of that. But I think that's because sin has had its impact on us. But even still, there are some people that you see, both male and female, that you're just like, daggone, that is a beautiful person. But God made that person. God makes beautiful things. You know, I was thinking about the New Testament church that we call the Bride of Christ and how that Paul said when talking to husbands in Ephesians and how to love their wives, he said, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might redeem it to himself a glorious church. Not having, what, spot or wrinkle. So, please don't misunderstand me here, but God is trying to unspot and unwrinkle his bride. He is beautifying his bride. Sometimes she's pretty hideous. But... God is beautifying. That's his intent, is to beautify his bride. Because spots and wrinkles and all such things are the evidence of not just age, but the evidence of corruption. Death, looming death. And so the places and the people that represent the presence and person of God, I believe, should be made as beautiful as we have the ability to to do. This is part of the reason why, loved ones, that I think we should work hard to be as physically fit as we can be. I'm not going to stress this because I don't think physical beauty is an absolute must, and some will struggle more than others and I know pride gets in and all of that. But again, we recognize that the human form in its prime is amazing. It's amazingly beautiful. We are attracted to beautiful things. The God of all creation made an incredibly beautiful world. Some might say, extravagantly beautiful. If God had created the world with the same mentality that some woke Christian Christians are talking about when it comes to for example New Testament church buildings, we would live in the most mundane, plain, unattractive world that you could imagine. But God recognizes, or seems to delight in beauty. One of the songs, America, is called America the Beautiful. You know, we sing it around the the patriotic holidays. And it said, oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountains, majesty above the fruited plain. It was the songwriter's way of extolling the beauty of the american continent who created it beautiful who made the purple mountains who designed fields of grain so that when they're growing and the wind is blowing that it just it's just a beautiful glorious uh, golden picture why is it that when god in through solomon in proverbs talks about the words He says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Beauty, ornate, because God delights in beauty. Do not let the ugliness of the world around us rob us of our desire to make beautiful that which we do for God. I think it should be our best. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Do it heartily as to the Lord. Do it well. Do it beautiful. So, someone would say, well, the New Testament church didn't have beautiful buildings. Now, this is a bit harder, I'll grant you. Because it's true. You won't find in the book of Acts after a certain number of chapters, you won't find beautiful buildings. I think, though, and you're welcome to disagree with me here, I think, and this is somewhat of a, of a place that I've been coming to because, as I said, I got kind of drawn into that the buildings don't matter kind of mantra, but I think it would be a mistake to look at the description of the early New Testament church and um draw a prescription from it for one thing the new testament jewish believers starting in from the gospels and on into the early days of the church after the uh, day of pentecost in acts chapter number 2 they continued to meet in the temple many of the synagogues but definitely the temple in jerusalem were beautiful places again The temple in Jesus' day was full, was surrounded by poor people. I remind you of the story where Jesus sat in the temple and watched people throw money into the treasury. And rather than saying, how dare you have a box to take people's money, including poor people, he commended the widow, the poor lady, for casting in her two mites. And Jesus would often interact with poor people around the temple. Peter and John uh, were going up to the temple to pray. They didn't have any silver or gold, but they went to the temple to pray. In other words, they didn't think that God wasn't there because it was a beautiful temple. I think that the it's you could make the case that the Jewish people in the first century at the time of Christ had misappropriated the emphasis that should have been on the temple, but its beauty was not wrong. In fact, the t- Herod's temple that they worshipped in was nowhere near as beautiful as the one that Solomon had built. Solomon, the wisest man, the Bible says, made that temple for God beautiful. And he never thought that was wrong. And in fact, when he prayed at the dedication of the temple, God was pleased with that. Because God is an amazingly beautiful being, and he delights in beauty. God is a spirit, and it seems that the thing which best represents the character and nature of God in creation is beauty. So when God's making things in the first week of creation, he's like, this is good, this is good, this is good, very good. It was beautiful. Because it represents the handiwork of God. The Bible tells us that God used wisdom to make the world, and he made it beautiful. I think God delights in us beautifying the things that we're involved with. So, that doesn't mean we don't care about poor people. But it does mean if you think you can worship in a shack... And spend all your money on the poor, and you're going to eradicate. Sometimes I hear about people saying we could eradicate poverty. I I don't think we can. Jesus didn't seem to think we would either. There are a lot of reasons, multitudinous, for poverty. But Jesus said you're always going to have poor people. It's always going to be poor people. But he didn't say that that meant it wasn't it wasn't right to perform acts of worship which some might call wasteful or extravagant. We have here in our church, it's a beautiful old New England building, and we have I've worked very hard in the 7 years that I've been here to beautify it, to make it look as beautiful as we can, to keep some of the classic New England beauty in the structure as well as modernize it where we can. I take great delight when someone walks into our sanctuary for the first time and says, wow, this is a beautiful church. Because we represent God, and beauty is a compliment to God, not a detraction. God delights in beauty. The Bible tells us when people in, 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 its, in its stories were beautiful or pleasant to look upon. When the people of Israel sent spies into the land of Canaan and when God was describing it, he said, it's a beautiful country, it's beautiful. And there's nothing wrong with that, nothing at all. God delights in beauty. Beauty. I think it was the psalmist who said, hey, you want to worship God? Beauty should be a part of that. Are you thinking of the verse that I'm thinking of? Worship him in the beauty of holiness. In the beauty of holiness. Mm, think about that. I think our music should be beautiful. Holiness is being set apart The Lord, and when you recognize that holiness in the Old Testament, God is the most holy, He is literally the holy, holy, holy. Uh, in the King James, when it talks about the what we call the holy of holies, it calls it the most holy place. And it in English it says most holy, but in Hebrew it literally just says holy, holy. It is the holy, holy place, just like the Levites would tithe, the tithes were holy, the tithes were 10% of and the first fruits and so forth and so they would take the best of the grain the best of the flock and they would give it to the Lord and then the priests who got that as their inheritance would take the best of that so the priests would give the holy of the holy to the Lord and uh then then as they got closer and closer to the place where the mercy seat was it was the holy place and then the most holy place but one of the things that made it holy was not just the presence of God, but the absence of corruption. The absence of corruption. Absence of death and sin and darkness. God's holiness beautifies things. and Worshiping God in the beauty of holiness means that or in one of the, I guess, things that it could mean is that as we worship God and as we're living our lives on a day-to-day basis, holy unto the Lord, that is beautiful, that it's a beautiful thing, and God delights in beauty. I'm trying to give another side to things here because I recognize that there are many who are like, well, churches are just wasting money on, on ornate buildings. I think it's worth mentioning, and I got to get back to the Jews because I got distracted from that. I think it's worth mentioning that there is nothing inherently wasteful in a beautiful structure or in beautifying, even extravagantly so, the structure in which we meet. Now, as I started to say and then got distracted, the early New Testament church They didn't meet in beautiful buildings, and so we have taken a description and made it a prescription. Well, house churches is the way, or under a tree, you can do it there. I mean, look at the New Testament church. Listen, listen, the New Testament Jewish believers operated in a culture in which they had no problem with a beautiful temple. It's just that they got kicked out of it. And in the political and social climate of the day, that often meant that they lost jobs and income and and the ability to do certain things, and so of necessity they met in houses, of necessity loved ones, not because they were opposed to structures. These were Jewish people. They weren't opposed to structures, and the Gentiles who came to the knowledge of Christ were not opposed to beautiful structures. The temple, like the temple of Diana, was a beautiful, gorgeous, ornate building. It's just that when you came to Christ in a culture where Diana was the primary uh, um, deity that was worshiped, you weren't always free to build beautiful buildings. It wasn't until many, many years a few hundred years later when it became possible for christians to build beautiful buildings i don't think god is displeased with beautiful buildings built for the purpose of the worship and magnification of god god delights in beauty and i think god delights when his greatest creation man the 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 being that he created to be his imagers use our creative potential and our artistry to beautify the places in which we meet. Now we go overboard when we begin to worship that which is created rather than the creator because he is the one that our beauty should should magnify. But all throughout the centuries artists and sculptors and architects have in a desire to magnify God, made the most beautiful structures they could, carved the most beautiful statues that they were capable of, and painted the most beautiful of paintings as a way to bring attention to the glory and beauty of God because God delights in beauty. He does not delight in ugly. And that's why he's working very hard God is the anti-ager. You don't need the, the church, there is no anti-aging cream for the church. She's full of spots and wrinkles. But God is working to beautify his bride. Look at the extravagance of the descriptions of New Jerusalem, the heavenly city. Unbelievably beautiful. I think it would be fair to say that when God beautifies something, he does it in a way that is extravagant. And I think we could take a little bit of that extravagance and excuse some ornate, almost unnecessary beautification, not only of our lives, but of the structures and places in which we worship God. It's just something I thought I'd throw out there for you to think about. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I'd love to get your feedback. Send me an email, thispoorpastor at gmail.com or text me, 910-265-7297. I'd love to hear from you. I appreciate very much you taking the time to listen. I, like some of you, have criticized ornate structures and I'm growing. I'm trying to learn and be honest with what I'm learning. I think that many people worship beauty instead of worshiping the God of beauty, but that shouldn't stop us from attempting to make beautiful that which we touch and come in contact with. Because after all, my friends, given enough time, God makes everything beautiful. It's death and corruption that causes things to go towards ugly. The Spirit of God in time makes all things beautiful. You have a beautiful week. I'll see you next time.